In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. and gentlemen it's friday it looks like we made it we made it everybody it's friday i hope everybody's having a beautiful day i hope you have something lined up for this afternoon this morning this evening maybe this weekend i got an incredible show for you today with an incredible individual the one and only joshua peters he's a hypnotist nlp practitioner and coach with a mission to unlock your highest human potential he helps businesses owners entrepreneurs and other professionals eliminate self-sabotage and create confidence and clarity using his unique and modern style of hypnotic coaching. Before founding X-Factor Hypnosis, Joshua helped transform the food industry, working for 14 years with the world's largest farmer-owned organic food company. While he's not working, you'll find Joshua hiking, reading, or enjoying time with his family. And for those listeners on my podcast, you know I have an affinity for higher and altered states of consciousness, for seeing the world in a way that is non-linear, and trying to create the best relationships in your life with yourself, your family, your friends, and the environment. One thing that I'm really excited to talk to Joshua today is figuring out this relationship between behavior, linguistics, suggestibility, and the way we perceive the world. So Joshua Peters, I'm so thankful for you. You're here today. How are you? I am awesome, George. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. As we were speaking briefly in the introduction, I think that you may be one of the most uniquely qualified people to have a conversation about this idea between the behavior of linguistics, imagery, and altered states of consciousness, and higher states of consciousness, and just the relationship we have with ourselves and the environment. But before we get into that, though, I was hopeful you could maybe give us a little bit of background on what it was that drew you to this, this world in which you live. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I spend a lot of time really, really stuck. And so kind of my story starts around age of 35, where I found myself in a, uh, I call it the house of broken dreams, uh, in, in a house I never wanted to live in, uh, in a place I never wanted to live in. And I was there, I've got, I have five kids, 
I'm in a marriage that's just not working. I'm in a job that's not working. Everything was kind of down for me. And the reason that that happened was because I lived life by not making choices and which is a choice itself. (laughs) And so life kind of happened to me. I really had a kind of a victim idea of what life was like. And, uh, that was a wake up call for me. I realized I get to make choices. Like the, the, this is my life. So I don't have to just let things be what they are. I can decide what I want things to be. And I started to make choices. So I, I, uh, I got divorced. I found a job, uh, the job at Organic Valley that you mentioned on the intro there. Found a job that was in line with my values. So trying to, you know, make a difference in the world. I, and it was close to my home. So I could be there with my kids now because it was more important that I was there. Family is very important to me. And then I started making other changes. I quit smoking. I uh, started focusing on my health. I, I kept just kind of making these little choices one after the next. And uh, I didn't have hypnosis. So for me, it was just brute force. <laughs> just like, okay, going to make this work. And then figure out how to do it and then just do it. So a lot of persistence and a lot of mistakes. And after about 10 years, I had kind of shifted my life around to a place where I was ready to move from the small town where I was living in, uh, which is actually the place I grew up in. And like I said, the place I never wanted to spend my life at, but I spent 20 years there. I chose to move from uh, Southwest Wisconsin up here to the Twin Cities where I'm at now. And my kids didn't want to come with me. So I Mm -hmm. I still had a couple kids in high school. In fact, one was just going into high school. And like I said, family was important to me. And it was hard. It was a hard decision to make. And so I found a hypnotist. They helped me work through the fears that I had and it worked really well. I, I made the move. I, I could, I still was, you know, I was going back and forth. I, I was there for my kids pretty powerfully uh, as best as I could be. And I started then looking for, okay, what is the next thing? What am I going to actually do with my life now? And if I, when I thought about it, I, I realized if I could learn hypnosis, I could help people make changes in their lives in a faster, quicker way than I did. Uh, and I could get paid for that. Well, what was, what was a more empowering way I could think of to live? So, so I, I found a hypnotist that was local who could mentor me and I mentored with him for about a year. I started seeing clients on evenings and weekends. And after about a year after that, I was able to go full time, which coincided with my youngest child graduating. So kind of everything kind of worked together. Uh, And then I've been doing it full time since then. So that was 2018. I love it. I love the, the hero's journey and the but I think what I love most is having the courage to take the steps to make your life conscious and necessary. That's hard. It's it's difficult to come to terms, especially for me. I'm almost I'm almost fifty, and I've I've come to the a similar spot in my life where I realized life. I was letting life kind of just take me by the hand and move me in those same directions. 
And it's, I think it speaks to your identity, especially maybe it happens to all of us later in life or at different times. However, maybe you could speak to the idea of coming to the point where I can make the decisions. Hey, it's possible I could wake up and do what I want to do. For some people, that's a fantasy. Like, what do yeah. you mean you could do what you want to do and make money? You're out of your <laughs> mind. You can't do that. Yeah, that was uh, a hard lesson. And I've been really interested in personal development my whole life, not even just at that point. But what was interesting to me as I kind of look back at it, all through my 20s and early 30s when that you know first part of the story was happening, I, I was doing all this work to make changes in my life and I was blocking those changes from happening. Oh. So, and the reason was because I had, I had low, very low self-esteem. I didn't think I was valuable. I didn't think anything that I wanted mattered. Like all this, there's all these like limiting yeah. beliefs that I had about myself that wouldn't matter how much development I was doing. I, I kind of refused to let anything happen. And once I pulled, once I like pulled that out of the way, that's when things started happening. But for me, it was going to a landmark at a landmark education uh, seminar, which I don't know if you ever heard of that, but that's a kind of a weekend seminar that is all about shaking you out of the comfort zone. And uh, that was the ultimate mess. The ultimate message that I got from that was there's no meaning to life except the meaning that you give to it and you get to choose what that meaning is. And when, and that hit me so hard, that's like, okay, if that's true, which yeah, I can agree with that. Then what do I want my life to mean? And that was, that was what started to get me there. I find a lot of people have to hit that low point. Yeah. They have to be almost desperate to be ready to step into making changes. And, and I think that's because it's just comfortable. It's, it's comfortable to kind of let life, like you said, like let life kind of lead you, yeah. lead you along. It, there's not a lot, it's not hard. <laughs> you just kind of <laughs> let life happen and, uh, and then you deal with it until you just can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. I, I, on some level, it speaks to the idea of good is the opposite of great. But on another level, it speaks to the ideas that Viktor Frankl taught us in Man's Search for Meaning. Isn't it? Do you think it's kind of dangerous to like, is it true that the only meaning in life is the meaning you give it? Like, I guess on some level, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control the meaning of it. It's yes. such a it's such a giant thing to think about. How did you get your arms around it? Like, you know, you go to that, you go to the landmark thing, you start hearing these ideas, you start playing with your life a little bit. Was there yeah. like maybe you could speak to that, like that moment it clicked? Well, I mean, that was like when I heard them say that, that was just a it's a it's a thing that I had heard before. Okay. It's a it's an eastern idea. Mm. And and I knew it at a conscious level. I think because of the whole process that they went through, like they kind of control when you're eating and when you get to take bathroom breaks, like they do a lot to put you in this state, an altered state mm -hmm. where they can hit you with these truisms or, I mean, it's not even a truism. It's just a, it's a, a way of looking at the world, I guess you could call it. And, and it hit me so deeply that I started to look at my life and to realize actually this is true. Like all these things, 
all these. So I like to make rules about life. <laughs> I, I still do it. Like I'll, <laughs> I don't even, I don't mean to, but somebody tells me something. Uh, this happens with my wife and I a lot. She will tell me something and I'm like, okay, this is how it is. This is the rule. It's not a rule. It's like the one, <laughs> she just told me this one time, but in my mind, I like set it up as the rule. And that's what I had been doing all through life where something would happen. I would make something up about what that meant. Then I would live like that's true. And we all do that in, in a lot of different ways. Like that's the unconscious mind giving us a program that didn't, and then it starts to run. We don't think about it. It's just like automatic. Is that like the foundation for hypnosis? Like being able to program your patterns of thought, like how would you define hypnosis? Like what, what is it? Hypnosis is a, a state of often, so this isn't always true, okay. but it's an often a state of relaxation, but it's really a, about focused, uh, concentration. Mm -hmm. Most of the time when you're in a relaxed state, but we don't have to be in a relaxed state to go into a hypnotic state. And maybe a way to think about this that is a little easier is instead of calling it hypnosis, call it a trance. Oh. I think that's a, a better way to look at it. Okay. Um, because hypnosis has, you know, all kinds of baggage to it, which sure. has its pluses and minuses because everybody knows something about it. But really, we go in and out of trance states all the time. Like we're in and out of, we're driving trance. Here is the most common trance state that people go. <laughs> that's the most common yeah. trance that yeah. we have in our modern world. Uh, so we go into that state. But it, so hypnosis is another trance state that gives you access to your imagination in a deeper way to these other parts of us that we don't always even know are there. Uh, it opens us up to be able to hear messages, something that kind of like what happened to me in that situation. I was in a trance state so that when this, this statement that I had heard before and was up here, now it hit me down here, like right at the heart kind of level. That's how you use hypnosis. And there's, there's really, really a lot of of techniques and, and ways to do hypnotic trance. So NLP is an, mm -hmm. is a, is a, you know, neuro-linguistic programming is just another form of hypnotic trance. It's just done in a more awake sort of way. Um, there's, there's lots of tech there. They're even in, um, there's the EMDR where you're using eye movements. There's different kinds of modalities that use tapping, all of these are taking you into a different state of consciousness so that you can put in the the beliefs that you want or sometimes clear up the ones that are in the way or do some inner child healing or there's like a lot of things you can do there and they they resonate at a deeper level when you're in these types of trance states. Is it too far to say that a trance state can be considered an alternate form of reality? I don't know if I would call it. I mean, so what is reality, <laughs> George? <laughs> How do you? <laughs> um, because you could you could say being awake is an altered reality. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's. 
I love language. And the older I get, the more I realize that the words I use describe who I am, my environment, and my relationships. And when you become aware of that, you begin to understand that you can model reality, whatever that is, the, the, the state in which you're moving around, however you want to. And it's really powerful. And it, it's, I guess that kind of leads me to, to my first, one of my first questions is that, in your opinion, how does the language used during hypnotic inductions influence the depth and nature of altered states of consciousness? And what mm. implications does this have for understanding suggestibility? Well, so a, a typical kind of hypnotic induction is going to start to use inflections in your voice to help so it's, it's about the inflections in the voice. It's about the words that you say. It's also about the way that you say them. All, all of them are about, in many ways, getting present, getting present with where you are right now and then to dropping even deeper. So one of my favorite ways to help to do that is to use words that are a little vague. And when you use kind of vague words like that, you're my client or you or, you know, whoever you're talking to, even if you're talking to yourself, we start to create meaning, right? We start to build what's right for us. Some of the most powerful ways of using hypnotic language is to do it in the way that lets the client create their own suggestions. Like, what is that? I, it's better for me to not say the thing, but to, to, but to open up the possibility for them to build it themselves. If that, yeah. does that, you make, does that make sense to you? You want it to be their idea. Yeah. And so it's the difference in, let me see if I can come up with an example. Uh, well, a lot of times I will have somebody have a hypnotic experience and I will tell them, allow that to happen in the way that's right for you and give me a nod when that feels complete. Okay. So I'm not telling them what right. is supposed to happen. I'm not telling them when it's done. I let them do it in their own mind in the way that's right for them. And then when they feel it's done, they let me know. Mm. Is that, does that answer your question? Yeah, it, on some way, it seems to me you're allowing them to get leverage on themselves, allowing them to give mm. themselves permission to move forward. That's a so that what you just said right there is is almost everything I do. <laughs> 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 and sometimes it takes a while to get yeah, through that yeah. and takes a lot of kind of exercises and uh, practices for them to get to that point. M much of what I do, I, one of my mentors, uh, shared with me that sometimes all people really need is a cheerleader, somebody to be on their side. And, and when they have that, they can, they can take on the world. But most of the time we don't have that or we don't, we don't think we do. In fact, our own minds are often opposite of that, telling us all the things we do wrong and kind of beating ourselves up where we go into a hypnotic state. And I just remind you that you are enough that you're loved, that you're creative enough and smart enough and worthy of everything that you want in your life. And I mean, sometimes hearing that 
can bring tears to people's eyes because they've never heard that before, whether from anybody else or even from themselves. Yeah. It makes me think about the relationship to patterns. When, when myself, using myself as an example, I can notice the way I think, but you really need someone there to notice you noticing what you think, right? Mm, yeah. What? If you, if you, if you bring it to language, kind of what okay. we started with here, it, it's similar because we will use language to describe uh, describe certain things. So I'll give a good example. Yeah. I, I see a lot of people that are dealing with anxiety at different levels. And in fact, most people are dealing with that at different levels. Many of them, they call it my anxiety <laughs> and they are owning, they, they make it part of who they are. So sometimes it's a, it's enough to help them just separate <laughs> Let's, let's, let's change how we talk about this. Yeah. So from now on, if you're feeling anxious, you can feel the anxiety or the anxiety that you feel. You don't get to call it your anxiety anymore because it's not yours. It never was yours. It was something that you experienced, but let's start to separate from it, right? That's, that's an example of how somebody uses language to, to hold on to the problem. Mm -hmm. And, and they don't, people don't just do that with anxiety. They do it with that, well, everything. So my anxiety, my OCD, uh, my fear of flying, you know, whatever it happened, whatever their particular thing is, my, my self-sabotage. Hmm. Yeah, that's, it's interesting. I never thought about it that from that angle, but you are, you're making it your identity. It's like you, some part yeah. of you wants it there. Like, this is mine. Yeah, yeah. you can't <laughs> have it. It's mine. I I got this. This is my anxiety. It feels cozy and safe, even though it feels uncomfortable. It's familiar. Have you found that when people use the word my for a, a, something that they have that they're holding on to, that that is usually something that was developed and been a been a defense mechanism for a long period of time? Well, most of the time, easy answer is yes. And uh, to elaborate on that a little bit, we create these kinds of patterns. So we're right. talking about patterns again. We create yes. these things usually through a few different ways. And typically when we're pretty young, uh, we see people in authority acting a certain way. So like a parent or a teacher or a relative or a friend even and we store it in the back of our mind. So like mm -hmm. kid sees parents arguing in the back of their mind, like, well, marriages go like this. Relationships are like this. Got it. Store it. Now you become an adult. You're in a relationship. You start to unconsciously create that pattern that you saw played out when you were a kid because that's what adults do. We're not consciously thinking any of that stuff, but there's a part of us that's, that saw that, that stored it in the back of our mind, that created, so in the, in the brain, literally created a pathway of neurons connected to neurons. So when you see something happening, your, your brain is starting to build those same pathways that's called mirror neurons. We can, right. we watch somebody doing something, we learn how to do it by watching. 
that's that happens in this kind of instance as well. Um, sometimes through a highly emotional experience is going to create a pattern. So like, uh, like call it a, I don't like to call them traumatic events. I like to call sure. them past experiences because it's actually more relevant, more real. <laughs> um, so, but you know, a highly emotional experience, either positive or negative. So it could be a, a really good experience can create a belief, uh, of ourself or a pattern that we start to live into or negative one. Uh, that can, again, that can happen right away or it can get stored later in life. Something happens that triggers it and boom, you start to act it out. So that's why something that you see early on may not happen right away, but it can happen later on in life. Uh, and then another, another way to do this is just through repetition. So just kind of doing mm. the same thing over and over. Like that's how we think of building a habit, right? You just do the same thing over and over again, but that can also be around belief around behaviors, you know, what we think about ourselves as well. It's interesting how the patterns we're talking about now correlate to parts of the brain, like the default mode network. Like that's yeah. the default mode network. Of course, you're gonna default to that. Like that's what you were. That's the mirror nerve. That's what you were taught. Yeah. And then it yeah. speaks to the idea of some of these altered states. Whether sometimes psychedelics allow you to bypass that default mode network and make new connections and understand or see things in a different type of way. Which brings me to this next idea about languages. Isn't it interesting how sometimes when we talk about past traumas, we say, "Oh, I can see it differently now," or "I I have a different perspective." How, how do you, why do you think we use the, the sense of sight to explain how we think? Well, so this is, this is something that is often used in our imagination. So this mm. is, we imagine using our senses, right. right? So sight is one of them, but also they might also say, oh yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I feel what you're laying down, right? <laughs> There's different ways that we, right. that, and, and everybody's a little different. So some people are very aud audio yeah. focused. Some people are visual focused. Some people are kinesthetically focused. Even smells and tastes can be in there as well. Yeah. Like one of the most easy ways to go to a memory is through like a song right? Mm -hmm. You hear a song from a certain time in your childhood, boom, it's going to take you there. There's songs that I hear that take me to riding a bus, <laughs> riding the bus to school. Cause, cause we heard those songs riding the bus to school, sledgehammer from Peter Gabriel is one of those songs. Right? <laughs> I just, and see, this is what happens. You talk about these things, yeah. those neurons start to fire off. Boom. I'm back like nine years old, riding the bus. <laughs> and, and I didn't even have to hear the song. I just talked yeah. about I've talked about it and it took me there. So these are uh, different ways that we experience the world. So that's why we use those kinds of terms. And in the imagination, we're going to use all of, you know, in hypnosis, we use a lot of these different ways to access the, those parts of our brain, because we need to use what works best for the particular client. I'm a big fan of symbols too. One of my one of my favorite symbols is like the yin and yang sign. It's like those yeah. two paisleys with like the, the spot of chaos and order and the spot of order and chaos and the yeah. colors. And it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to imagine it spinning around. And you know, you can look at your life when you're just like, oh God, why is this happening? You'd be like, oh, it's, I'm just this spot of chaos right now. But there's just so much a, an, a, an image or a symbol can do for thinking sometimes. Have yeah. do you do you 
what is your take on symbols? Do you think that maybe symbols are more powerful than words? Or are they a part of language? Or when you start thinking about symbols, what do you think about? Well, I mean, words are symbols. Mm. Words are audible symbols that we've created to represent ideas. Um, just like letters, right? Yeah. So, right. so yeah, symbols are, are powerful. Uh, metaphor, another mm. way to communicate yes. to the unconscious mind. Some of the most powerful ways that uh, I can, that I work with people is yeah. letting their own metaphors come up. So, you know, yeah. they tell me, if somebody tells me, oh, I want to do this, but I just, I feel like there's this block in the way. Oh, well, what's the block like? Yeah. Oh, it's like a, it's like a brick wall. Oh, tell me more about the brick wall. Yeah. It's like, it's eight feet tall and it goes on as far as I can see to either side. Oh, what else do you notice? Oh, it's, uh, it's only one layer brick thick. Huh? Well, what happens if you push on the brick wall? Oh, it falls over. It wasn't really very strong. Well, push it over. Okay. Now what happens? The block's not there anymore. <laughs> right? So, you know, pe people will create their own metaphor for their problem. And then if you just ask them some questions on how to, what's happening next, they'll give you the solution. I can't help, like, it's so funny you say that because I'm just currently reading this book, Metaphors in Mind by yeah. James Lolly. <laughs> I was literally just reading about that. Like, I don't know, it's a huge, metaphors are phenomenal. And <clears throat> it's, it's interesting that another book that's awesome for people that want to read about metaphors is called Metaphors in the Mind by uh, by Radman right here. His his name is difficult to pronounce, but okay. it's called Metaphors in the Mind. Yeah. And they, in this one, they start talking about the way in which the only way we can get to new information is by referencing old information. And that that's where the metaphor comes in. It's like, oh, well, this particular concept is sort of like the sliced bread, you know, or but they go into really in depth and mm. talking about how we discover new language. And one of the things he says is that he does this exercise where they say, try to think of a new animal. And most people will be like, okay, because I want to challenge you to think of an, an, an animal that's never been alive. And a lot of people be like, okay, it's a, it's got uh, four legs and um, five arms, but you know, and a horn on it and it has glass. like, but they're not really coming up with anything new. They're just putting together things in order that have never been put in order before. Yeah. And when you start thinking about that in your own mind, you're like, oh, is there really any new knowledge? Or are we just slapping things together in different ways? And you start looking at discoveries that people made about electricity or you know, uh, rocketry or, or science. And you go realize, hey, they're just following this pattern. It's not that they're coming up with something novel and new it's just they're putting things in an order that they've never been put before and that's a yeah. that's a pretty yeah. powerful way similar to what you're doing with helping people think about things different is that is that fair to say it's very similar yeah uh, i like to i like to hold the frame that you have the answers you have the resources yeah. you need you have everything that you need and i'm there to help you find it in yourself like i i consider myself a guide yeah. I'm not fixing your problem. I'm a guide to help you get to the place where you can fix your problem. Can you say that again? I think that that should be something that people realize. A lot of times people think that they become the healer when in fact the medicine is already in them. Maybe you could just yeah. repeat that again for people. Yeah. I, I am a guide to help you find your own internal resources, your own internal X factor, like I like to call it. So that you can live the life that you deserve to live. I love it. 
I love it. It's it's really well said in them. In heightened states of consciousness induced by hypnosis, how might linguistic patterns shape the perception of time? And how is this reflected in subsequent behavior? Um, I guess what comes to my mind as you ask me that is you because you're in a, a deeper state that's a very much more imaginative state, we can we can go back in time. We can alter experiences in the past. We can go forward in time to create, uh, really creating that mental pathway, right? So we go forward in time to practice a situation and all of it kind of blends together. Often people in a hypnotic experience kind of they either lose track of time. So they, they often will come out of it thinking that no time, little time has passed or a lot of time has passed. And they're usually wrong about both of them. Uh, oftentimes it's like it goes by very quickly. So time gets a little bit flexible yeah. <laughs> in, in a hypnotic state or really in a trance state. So it's not necessarily about a hypnotic state, any kind of trance state. Like imagine a time where you've been in a flow and yeah. just kind of time can just go by and you're just in that state just doing um, watching a great movie or something that you're really immersed in, right? You lose track of time. So this is not a, this is a trance thing, not a hypnotic thing. I feel like maybe it's just me, but I feel like our relationship as a culture, I feel like our relationship with time is changing. You can do, I wouldn't recommend this experiment, but you can do it. So let me just put that out there as a primer. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to speed time up or slow time down, if you if you go to a red light and you just wait, sometimes it goes pretty slow. But if you go to a red light and pick up your phone, time flies like that. You know, you can change time <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> you know, but you it's it's a really great way for you to understand that you've been conditioned to experience time in a certain way. And I think our culture puts these time restraints on us. You know, here's another one if people want to start thinking about how weird time is. When you think of an octagon, you think of eight sides. So why is October the 10th month? Deca. You know, why is Deca the 12th month? You start thinking like, hmm, that's kind of strange. You start digging into this idea of, well, maybe it's for taxes. But, but you know, there's all these things just waiting to grab your attention if you start thinking about time. Another mm -hmm. one that I really like is um, there's a fascinating individual that, that he's far gone now, but his name is Marseille Iliad, and he talks about like uh, – Ta the time in which you find yourself in contemplative prayer or in ecstatic states. And, you know, he talks about sacred time. And yeah. an example of that is like, I've been married and you've been married. And that moment where we're standing at the altar or standing wherever it is in, in this, this time, we shared that time. That's sacred time. Even though we weren't together, I can tell you about the time we got married and you can picture what that time is like. Yeah, and it's like totally. this thing we get to share far away from each other. And it doesn't matter if it's you and me on the East Coast and West Coast or if it's me and my great-great-grandfather. Like you can experience the same time as someone else. That's yeah. kind of profound, right? Yeah, that is. That's a beautiful uh, thought pro thought experiment. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as October or December, you know, it's because they added a couple of months. So... <laughs> It, it did used to be the eighth and the tenth month, right. and then and then we had to add some months earlier and screwed it all up. <laughs> yeah, and then then you realize like that is a pattern. Like we do that a lot. 
that just happens to be one that everybody can see if you're looking. You know, you start looking back on history and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's history? Yeah, well, look <laughs> at the, the days of the week are like that too. These are all named after uh, Germanic right, right. gods, right? We got Thor and Odin and Freya and then we got Saturn in there and the moon and the sun, right? This named after the planets, really. Yeah. But we know for sure that Jesus was born on the 25th of December, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> a whole celebration about that coming up. That's here. right. So can hypnosis serve as a unique linguistic tool to access and influence subconscious processes? And if so, how does this influence behavioral responses that may not be readily accessible in ordinary waking states. So hypnosis helps to take you into this kind of focused, relaxed state where you're more open to ideas, to suggestions. Hmm. Then when you, when you hear these words, when you're in that state, it's, it's kind of like that moment where I was at that conference and I heard the, I heard those words. You're in the state where those they click, they sit, they make a difference. So hypnosis is a trance state that allows you then to, whether you have a hypnotist do this or whether you're even doing it yourself, you know, saying words to yourself, reading to yourself, it starts to build that, um, those suggestions to make them more real to you. Uh, a lot of things that I will use with a client. So say they're, um, say they're have a fear of flying. Like that's a, that's a good example of, uh, it's kind of a simple one that is easy to, to think about. I will actually give them a whole list. So I'll take them into a nice deep state. We'll usually, so a hypnotic, uh, experience usually starts with an induction. That's kind of what you think of counting down from, 10 and then you take them a little bit deeper you help them relax more you start to get them in their mind imagining things it gets it helps them get more and more real in their mind as they imagine some small things then you take them deeper so i, I usually wait till we're kind of in a and and deeper is a subjective term right <laughs> so you, we take them into this yeah this altered state and when they're at the the depth or the height of the altered state, however you want to think about this, I will then give them a series of positive suggestions that are saying things like, as you drive to the airport, you feel calm and confident and excited about your experience. While you're standing in line at the security checkpoint, you feel safe and in control. As you wait for your plane, you, you find yourself so completely distracted by what you're doing that you're let go of the challenges of the past and you focus on the, the confidence that you have now. And as you're riding in your plane, you feel more and more confident that you can do not only those things that you have to do, but you can do whatever you ought to be able to do and to do that easily. Like that's, so we just kind of use those kinds of terms. So it starts to build yeah. again, it's actually really simple in a neuroscience based way where we bring up the neurons that the problem is there. So that's talking about the problem, right? Like I, like before when I was talking about the Peter Gabriel song and boom, 
those neurons fired off. So we talk about the problem, fires off the pattern. Mm -hmm. Then we use all these imaginative exercises to send those this, those neurons, those words that I just said, down a new pathway. So mm. we're talking about the fear of flying, but now you're focused, you're calm, you're, you're in control, you're confident, all these things. It's rewiring the brain. Like that is what's happening at, it's at, a co at the core level, whether you're using hypnosis or any other kind of modality. That's what they're all doing is they're firing off the problem adding in the solution, doing that again and again until, you know, neuroplasticity kicks in mm -hmm. and this new pathway is stronger than the old one. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's, it seems very prevalent today. And a lot of people I talk to that are working with like PTSD or any kind of trauma. And I, I mean, that seems like what you would do is you want to first off, get people to be comfortable enough to think about that thing that has been blocked and then rearrange, change the shape of it in, in some way. Have you? And to your example right there, like you just gave a great example, <laughs> right? Because you don't actually have to go into the moment. Mm -hmm. But if that moment that is a PTSD memory for you, if that had a shape, what would it be? Oh, it's a, it's a square. If it had a color, what would it be? It's a red square and it's like vibrating and, and mm -hmm. solid and kind of angry. Okay. Well, when you're calm, tell me about that. Well, that's a blue circle. that has got waves. And okay, so come back to that red square. Where do you notice it in your body? What happens if you turn it into a blue, blue red feeling? Mm -hmm. uh, what happens when you turn it into uh, a circle? What happens if you take that vibration and you make it into waves? Oh, that that feeling's gone. Oh, really? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> like you can literally do what you described, yeah. change the shape of the feeling of the experience into something different, which we don't, the, I think one of the biggest challenges is people think that they feel something and then they have to like go into that. Mm -hmm. Like that's just, that's just what they have to do. It's not necessarily a bad thing to feel your feelings, but also sometimes maybe we don't want to just suck into the negative feeling and we would rather for maybe there's no reason for that. Like that's like a trigger moment, right? Yeah. Some stupid thing happens that has nothing to do with getting angry, but you still get angry. Well, there's ways that you can shift that. So now when you're in that trigger moment, you get to decide how you feel. This brings up, I, I've had this idea in my mind that's kind of been knocking on the door, if that makes sense. And it's like this idea of the texture of language. On some level, I think we're beginning to move past this idea of, or maybe maybe it seems to be language is evolving. And I think it has a texture to it. You know, a lot of the times we, the shape of words, be it the vibration of the sound that comes from us. But I think that if, if we really paid attention and began to decipher the texture of language, I think we could really communicate more effectively. Maybe that's why poetry is such a wonderful way in which people can respond to it. Sometimes when you read poetry or hear a song, you know, you can get goosebumps or your face gets flushed. But yeah. what do you think about language having a texture to it? Well, we're talking about how language makes you feel, right? Texture is about feeling. So 
language definitely again because it's a symbolic representation right. of an idea it is a way of commu it's one of the uh i think stephen king said that the 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 best form of telepathy is writing because mm. it's the only way you can literally get into somebody's mind to understand exactly what they're thinking and so that's that's what comes up for me as you're talking about this is there's an there's a unlimited texture to language because it has the capability to bring up feelings and and images and yeah. even sounds in your mind you know emotions all the different things can come up memories just by using language i mean but art art can do the same thing but it's a little less precise mm. where language can be very precise in how it does that and it can be more intentional in doing it again and again like mm -hmm. being being uh similar for 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 people where art i think is a little bit more open to interpretation than language i mean language is still open to interpretation but yeah maybe a little less so than art like the structure of language is something that's fascinating to me and i was speaking with a friend of mine a while back and somehow we got on the concept of zero and when zero was introduced to the world of numbers like it changed the way accounting can be done it changed the way we model reality if if we were just to have do a hy hypothetical fun exercise here do you think it might be possible? It might, what, it might, what if we could introduce a new symbol to the English alphabet that would denote like integrity or something like that? Do you think it's possible that we could enter a new symbol, like an inye or a symbol or like a suffix or a prefix into the English language that would help people model reality differently? I mean, it happens all the time. <laughs> when something new is uh, there, like computer. Right. Computer is a word that was recently introduced that gives you a model right um I, yeah like that i think that happens all the time yeah we, we pull ideas from other languages but we create uh we create words to represent what we consider reality yeah. <laughs> in different ways yeah. when there's something that's not there right like a uh, rocket mm -hmm. is another one that comes to mind uh, different different things that are newer than have been around than the things that have been the ideas that have been around for thousands of years. There's this, there's a pattern that I've been noticing and it seems that over the last maybe decade or so we've been verbing nouns like, Hey, Google, instead of Google, like we're Googling that now. Yeah. And it seems to me that that echoes, like if you just start doing that with nouns, like, you know, like George, as a noun, as a person, place, or thing. But what about George as a process? What about Joshua as a process? What about Joshua as a verb? I think if you start looking at your way like that, you can. it really helps to speed up the progress of what it is you're trying to accomplish. Like you are, you are a process. And if you start looking at the world around you like a process, whether it's Googling, whether it's Georging, or maybe you're Joshuaing, yeah. you know, like I, I think that you can really, it gives you that perspective the same way maybe alter states of conscious give you another perspective using language in your life and verbing nouns kind of gives us that idea of a process. What do you think about that? I, I kind of like that. It's like, how, how is, 
if I'm Joshuaing something, yeah. <laughs> it's how am I? How does it? How do I do it? Right? It's yeah. Like how, how does Joshua do this? And, yeah. And uh, it's different than Georging the same process. Totally. Like, the way that I Joshua a, a podcast is different <laughs> than the way that you George a, pod, a podcast. That's <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. That that kind of stuff makes me excited for the future. We like my my daughter and I play all kinds of cool word games where one time we'll when we're in brushing our teeth, you know, we'll we'll play this game where you got to think of an animal. You got to think of something. It could be an animal, it could be an idea. And then my idea, my animal has to beat it. We'll start out like an, she'll say an ant and then I'll say a lizard and she'll say a cat. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're at plagues or a comet coming down, yeah. you know, but yeah. <laughs> It's super fun there's for people a, to imagine to play games like that. There's a um a a story in uh in the Sandman. That's where, where I got it from. Yeah. Okay. So you've read <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. But but that's a that's an ancient story. The riddling game. It's kind of mm -hmm. like uh uh don't they call it the oldest? I think so. The oldest game in there, yeah. I believe. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's a fascinating wizard battle right how yeah. how to how one wizard battles another by turning into the next beast yeah i i like that series but he hates god so much that like it's like kind of hard for me to read i don't know why like i don't i'm not super like i i must read something into it that bothers me about it but like it just seems like he just he just on some level he his 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 animosity towards religion as that character is like it's too much for me i, I don't know why hmm. But let me see. So considering the power of suggestion in hypnosis, how do linguistic nuances contribute to the formation of positive or negative behavioral changes? And what role does the choice of words play in reinforcing or altering existing patterns? So I guess the way that I would respond to that one, and we've talked a little bit about this yeah, already, right? Let, let's say from... So like a hypnotist is somebody who is really working hard to give you a positive suggestion <laughs> because everything, if we, if I'm going to give you a suggestion, I'm going to give you one that is in line with your values in, in line with what you want, you know, cause we've already talked, I know what you want. We've, we've figured it out and I'm not going to say something that is out of line with what you do want. Plus I usually will give you suggestions that are open enough so that you create the meaning of them. Again, you create your own meaning. Okay. where this actually seems more relevant is the suggestions that we give to ourselves, And like the word, again, if we're kind of come back to words that we use, I, I think of, there's a handful of words out there that I think of as disempowering words. And these are words that we use all the time to essentially let us off the hook. So this is, this is what master Yoda talks about. <laughs> do or do not there is no try right so when tell, somebody tells me that well i tried to do that what they're really telling me is they didn't do it right when they tell me well i should do this well we know we're, they're shooting on themselves we know we don't want to do that or they have to do this well have to and need to that's what your dad told you and we know what happens when your dad tells you to do stuff right so there's there's these words like try should have to need to want to is even mm -hmm. in there what what it comes down to for what i have found is it just comes down to a choice like you're ultimately choosing how you show up in life 
you might not want to hear this. So if you don't want to hear this, close your ears right now. But everything that is happening in your life is you're you're choosing for it to happen. You're you're choosing if you're procrastinating, it's not because you got the procrastination gene, it's because you're choosing to procrastinate. And now granted, there might be lots of unconscious stuff happening there. But if you don't deal with that, well, you're choosing to allow the unconscious stuff to take control. And and like we we always have a choice. We always have something we can do. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes when I find myself or my family saying, I have to do this. I say, no, you get to, yeah. you get to do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you said, I just see my daughter go like, oh. <laughs> not again. No, you get to, you get to clean your room. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. <laughs> In exploring the intersection of hypnosis and language, how might the hypnotic experience challenge or reshape traditional concepts of free will? I guess we kind of hit on that just now, but are there ethical implications of influencing behavior through linguistic suggestion? Well, uh, yeah, there are ways that you can use language to I mean, politicians do it all the time. Yes, right. There's yep. there's ways that language is used in a non-ethical way. Yeah, and I don't think most hypnotists and the hypnotists I know don't do that. The people that are doing that are not hypnotists there are other people that are using the same techniques yeah. but they're doing it outside of the healing modality they're doing it in you know like i said a lot of politicians will do this uh cult leaders do this yep. uh, you even even uh corporate leaders will will do Guaranteed. this you know think of think of steve jobs and the reality bubble that he would create around yeah. him right it doesn't have to be a negative thing um but it can be used in a, a negative way. So words are powerful. I, I think of <clears throat> one of the one of my favorite books to go back and read from time to time is Edward Bernays' Propaganda. And in that book, they speak about the world in which you live is shaped by men with whom you'll never meet. You know, and it, you start thinking about these ideas of like, what is my thoughts? You know, and we see it in culture all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and it's fascinating on some level when we look at hypnotism or suggestion or propaganda on a level like we, you know, we understand that we want there to be shared goals and shared sacrifice. And so you want to give people a shared vision, but that can go awry really fast, especially when you're dealing with a big group of people, right? Is there... It's hard because there's no, a lot of times the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but yeah. what do you, what do you think about using techniques on a mass scale like that? I, I don't like the, I don't like it when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't agree with manipulating people for your nefarious uses right and uh i would be happier if people weren't doing that <laughs> and and they're going to be doing that so you need to know when that's happening and it's hard to know when that's happening especially when you're being told something that you want to believe is true mm. yeah in some ways 
critical thinking is like a martial art and one should go hard and try to figure out as much of the techniques that you use to find your way around the world and the way influences is brought around the world so that you can protect yourself from that kind of stuff. You know, what's interesting when we talk about on a mass scale, you know, Cass Sunstein and, um, I think he was the advisor for Obama and Robert Caldini was for um, Hillary Clinton. And when you start looking at the way in which, you know, PR firms craft narratives, like it is mesmerizing to see the level of, of thinking that goes on to project these images in the minds of people. In some ways you can't help, but be enamored by it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, watch for, uh, what's the term uh for uh adjectives because mm. adjectives often are the thing that go from fact to uh manipulation right so think of it like a a news a news headline that says i don't know uh somebody i'm trying to think of a way to say this um uh, X company lost money. Okay, so that's one headline. I'm, I'm just yeah. trying to think of a way. So if you add an adjective here, uh, so company uh, ruthlessly lost <laughs> money, right? Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Like, depending on the way they want you to yeah. look at this, yeah. they're going to change that word. That's the that's the flamey word. That's the mm -hmm. word that brings in the emotion. Yeah. And so I. I notice those, and you know, depending on what side of the aisle you're watching the news from or reading, yep. it's going to be it's going to be different. It could be the same exact article right. with com two completely different spins. Where it's really my favorite kind of news, just kind of here's the facts. <laughs> yeah, like you get to make that's how it's supposed to be. Here's the facts. You make up your own decision on how you feel about that. I I'm not supposed to be told what to feel about <laughs> the news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I used to I used to enjoy watching like Ari Fleischer or the Rage and Cajun, like the press secretary. Like a really good press secretary is someone who's really interesting to watch. Not because what they're doing is wonderful, but because they're so quick and they're so fast and they have the ability to like, you know, show you this vision or just drag this red herring right across this thing and you won't even see it. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty right, fascinating right. to think about that. Is if that you, something you study too? Is focused on what it is that they want you to stay focused on. It's so good. You're like, oh, they're not going to get me. They're not going to get me. Ah, oh, they got me. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's fascinating. Is that something that you've studied too? Is like all the different logical fallacies, like the way in which people use non sequiturs to control the the way they see the world. Um, to a degree, I wouldn't say that I've studied that right. uh, in depth, but you know, I do. I do like language. I do. Uh, <laughs> I do like writing and I'm very interested in how language works. So I yeah. pay attention to those sorts of things. It's interesting in today's world where we're doing a podcast, and we have all this cool new technology. You know, I'm, I'm often, my, I have a younger daughter who during COVID, she did some zoom classes and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, and there has been in the, in the lexicon and in the society, this idea of, I wonder how this particular mode of communication is changing the way we interpret the world. Sometimes I, I feel as if we're losing the felt presence of the other. 
You know, you don't have the ability to to maybe catch some of those pheromones or you don't yeah. have the ability to slap yeah. you on the back or look you dead in the eye and stuff like that. But what do you think is is happening right now in this interesting time of shifting communication modalities? Well, I mean, it's it is really interesting because I mean, I work with people all around the world and and I work with people locally. Yeah. I I like people in my office. It is there's a little bit more charge to that. There's a little bit more energy there. But having said that, I have the same success with people online. And we still build a relationship. We still build rapport. There's still an mm -hmm. energetic back and forth. Even though it's like, this isn't really you there. You're just like these ones and zeros on my screen. But we're building a connection. We're still having a conversation. There's still this kind of back and forth that's going. So I don't know how that works, but to, to me, there is still energy that happens. I, I think that there is a, a craving mm -hmm. for the, the in-person. I mean, especially after COVID happened, most people, if they're local, they want to just come into my office and they don't want to do, they don't want to do a, another zoom call. At the same time, people have gotten really used to the, to the, convenience yeah. of of zoom and video giving us access to this wider world now so that it's just another option i did a i did a class just recently with uh a, a, a teacher from england right so you get to do you can do classes from wherever you want to it, it's I go through different ideas of what may be happening. And that's half the fun of it is exploring what may be happening. And in the beginning, I thought to myself, well, maybe what's happening is this atrophying of the ability to pick up small nuances from people. But then the more I thought about it and the more communication I have online than I go out in public, maybe the opposite's happening. Maybe we're struggling really hard to become aware of the nuances through the video feed that when you actually sit with somebody, it's like hyper-influenced. Like, yeah, it's so much easier. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know what? And it's, it's interesting to talk about this with people because as I'm talking about it, it's like I'm beginning to see it more. Like maybe that is why now when you're in communication with people, you'd be like, I think this person's bullshitting or I think this person's really saying this, you know, yeah, because yeah. you're struggling so hard across the zoom to, to really be focused. And, and maybe this idea of, of being in this moment and having that hyper focus is, is allowing different patterns to be developing. It's, I don't know. That's pretty cool to think about though. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We're always building new patterns, building new pathways, figuring <laughs> out new ways to think and do things. Yeah. How do, in your opinion, how do altered states of consciousness induced by hypnosis impact the linguistic processing areas in the brain? And how does that relate to the observed changes in language, perception, and production? I think it it slows things down. So, it, and it opens up your, again, this is just what it, uh, this is my opinion here. It seems to open you up to be able to accept things, uh, words, ideas, images that were that the conscious mind might say, uh, I don't believe that. Like I could, I could look somebody in the eye and just say, you are enough. And they'll just like blow that off. Like what's that weirdo talking yeah. about? <laughs> Take them into hypnosis. And I tell them that and it hits them and they cry because they've never had that happen before. And, and they feel it. 
So that's kind of the difference. It seems to make it easier to accept, to feel, to like internalize what you're hearing, whether it's, you know, from me or really from yourself and uh, allow it to be, I guess, real for you. Okay. So this speaks to something that's fascinating. Do you feel that when you're able to do that with someone and you could feel it, isn't that kind of intoxicating sometimes? You know, when you can do that for somebody, that feeling that resonates back to you from you helping them, that's an intoxicating feeling sometimes, right? It's, I don't know if it's intoxicating. I wouldn't necessarily use okay. that term, but, but it is, I mean, it is a positive, powerful yeah. feeling. And mm. to, to me, it's about it, when that happens and somebody's having that kind of emotional reaction, it makes, first of all, I could feel it. Like I do feel that myself, sure. but it also makes me aware of the responsibility that yes. I have to hold this safe space. Right. I, I think that one of the things that I'm good at is holding that space so that, you know, whether you're a, a, a mother who's coming in for whatever challenges that you have, or the, the, the biker dude who's coming in, uh, both of them feel safe to be able mm -hmm. to express whatever they need to express. And, and I have had very manly men in tears in my office where they would never be like that anywhere else. This is the only place where they can be, where they feel safe enough to be able to do that because I can hold that space for them. And, and it's important to, to keep that space there for them, whether it's online or right. whether it's in person, you can still hold the space either way. Um, see, maybe that's the difference between someone who's been trained and who hasn't been trained is that like, I use the word intoxicating. That's kind of dangerous that I would use that word. Like you're like, I'm going to hold space. I'm like, I think it's intoxicating. Like, maybe, maybe I should get some training over here. Like, take it easy, George. <laughs> well, well, we all know who not to go to for some hypnotic techniques here. I'm going to make you guys feel awesome. Watch. <laughs> Word choices though, right? Like if you, and I, Hey, at least I can notice the pattern. Like that's going to yeah, help for something. Yeah. <laughs> so can hypnotic language be considered a form of augmented communication that unlocks latent cognitive abilities? And how does this relate to the potential for enhancing learning memory or creativity? So it, what it does, it does seem to be able to unlock abilities that we maybe have kind of locked off, right? right? So a lot of people will get more creative. They're, they, they allow themselves to come up with ideas or they're getting it from this other version of them that's just kind of yeah. uh, much of what I do is take you to a place where you start to get your own messages, your own mm -hmm. suggestions. I'm not saying anything I, or I might be say, say, you know, say things in a vague enough way, again, like we said earlier, yeah. that lets those messages come through. So it does, it does seem to unlock some creativity. Uh, it, it seems to open up, open people up to ideas that they maybe hadn't been aware of and allow experiences that they sometimes don't want to, I don't want to say don't want to allow, but kind of didn't have the capacity to allow. And as I say that, I think of like going into your mind, going through an experience where in the past it used to be this big problem, but going through it now with no problem. What's that like? What are you feeling as you're doing that? What are the 
sounds around you? What What's the perspective? Like getting all that stuff real in your mind creates that pathway. Now the pathway's there. Now when you're in the situation, it happens. Th this is what athletes will do. Um, yeah. Michael Jordan, he would shoot baskets in his mind. Then he would go out on the court and shoot baskets. Arnold Schwarzenegger do the same thing before he go lift weights when he was doing, uh, right. you know, being the Mr. Universe. He would imagine himself lifting these incredible weights. Then he'd go out and do it. So this is not an uncommon thing. This is used by very successful people. It's often used by people without even realizing that they're doing it. So a lot of people are doing this even without, you know, the term hypnosis on it. Because like I said, let's take hypnosis away and just say trance. And trance can be daydreaming. Mm -hmm. That's a trance state. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to get in there, whether it's breath work or dancing sometimes, yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. Meditating. Yeah. You know, I've been I've I've had a really fascinating relationship with psychedelics for a large part of my life, and I've used that as a method to get into some of the thoughts that have been buried and sometimes yeah. really help me get through tragedies and even understand or give me a new perspective. Yeah. on tragedies like it, it on some level it, for me it, it's allowed me to walk up to those particular memories without any judgment you know like that that really helped me go oh look you're not it's not you this is life and it's unfolding in a way to help you that's a that's a that's a interesting place to get because i think that's where the medicine is and yeah. what do you think about that i am a i mean i'm don't do anything illegal. Yeah, and I'm an advocate. <laughs> <laughs> so as long as it's legal within your yes your place, then go for it. Uh, I I have found a lot of value in psychedelics. So psychedelics, what they do is they unlock uh, along with other kind right. of things like they unlock neuroplasticity. So they make all these different connections. Mm -hmm. They also, for me, help you get present. So that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, when you're just really present. So now. You're, you're present just where you are so you can look at these older, these other situations from a different point of view. And as you do that and your neurons are connected in different ways, you're building new pathways because that's what exactly what they're supposed to do. Right. And, and sometimes they allow those that that neuroplasticity to expand for weeks even after you take the medicine. So yeah. very, very powerful. Uh, if you're considering this, work with somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, consider someone to help you integrate. Be smart about it. Yeah, absolutely. Find the purse. Do your own research, you know, and don't go to South America or some foreign place because of a flashy flyer. Like, do your research. Find yeah. the people that that speak to you, and and then get some referrals and talk to people that have been there. I think yeah. that that's the best way for people to read some books. I mean, the best, the best way to prepare for a psychedelic experience is in the library. I think, you know, where yeah. you can start figuring stuff out mechanism of action and why things work and some psychology, maybe some Carl Jung is a good yeah. Yeah. place to jump off. <laughs> There's the, the Netflix series, how to change your mind is a Michael really, Paul. really good starting point too, for somebody that's curious and interested. Yeah. Or, or it's a book as well. How to change your mind. Yeah. The pollinator. That's yeah. what we call them, yep. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to think about it. I, I, I'm hopeful. Like, I, and sometimes when we speak of patterns, 
it seems to me that the in the world of psychedelics, from what I've been reading and some of the people I've been speaking to, it seems to have echoes of the late 50s and 60s, where there was all this research done and there was this medical container for psychedelics. People were doing this cool research, yeah. but then some things happened and it got and it got put away. Mm-hmm. What do you think about when you look back on the previous wave of psychedelics and what we see today? I'm I'm just really excited that things are opening back yeah. up again and grateful for those people that did that original research. And there's there's a very small handful of people that continued doing the research, just yeah. couldn't do it, you know, above board. Uh, it's really unfortunate right. that that this happened the way it did. And, you know, there's we could have a whole podcast episode about yeah. why that happened the way it did, yeah. but uh, I'm glad that things are opening up and there's a, a new reality. Like th- these are powerful medicines yeah. that are here for us to heal and uh, and recreate our lives in the way that uh, is going to actually make a powerful difference. I speak to a lot of people that, you know, there's a company called Moksha Journeys in Oregon and they are really helping people with addiction and they're using psilocybin to do it. And they have so many amazing people on their, on their staff, like Prema and um, Sienna and all these, in, all these really cool individuals. And, and each one of the therapists has like this different modality in which they're able to help people through the journey. It's been, same thing with psychedelics today. They have a new, prob- a new program called the Vital Program. But it seems to me your background, like a background in hypnosis would be a great complement to the other modalities that they have to help people go through these different traumas that they're facing. Have you ever thought about working in that particular field with some of these different agencies? Um, I, I have, I kind of prefer just being on my own right now. And, and I do, I do, I, I do some, uh, psychedelic integration with people, Mm. so I don't take them on journeys or anything, but the, what I have found, and this has been true for me too, is yeah. you can have a psychedelic experience. It can be life-changing yeah. and it stays over here in psychedelic experience land and <laughs> life is over here mm-hmm. and they don't always connect, right? So through hypnosis, which is a great way to uh, kind of re go through a situation, whether it's a past experience or a psychedelic experience, we can go back into those moments and we can pull out the lessons Mm. and apply them to life to really integrate them in a, in a more powerful way than can often be done outside of, uh, outside of using a hypnotic technique to do that. So that that's one of the ways that, that I have found works best that I'm really excited about. Um, and other than that, I'm just, I enjoy, I don't necessarily want to tie myself to addiction because it's right. not necessarily where my, my sweet spot is. I think that I am better at, uh, empowerment yeah. and confidence kind of, I, I love working with people that are already successful and yeah. want to get more successful. It, yep. I just enjoy that more. And not that I don't work with people that are, uh, dealing with different anxieties, but you know, I, I like what I like. And, and, uh, so I focus on on that kind of a person, creatives, uh, entrepreneurs, those are my favorite kind of clients. Yeah, I love it. It's there's something to be said about optimization, you know, and I think that that I'm hopeful that that is the next wave or the next container in which these different modalities go because it is it's cool and it's it's helpful and it's necessary. And maybe the first phase should be trauma, 
But I think the next phase, and we already see it with entrepreneurs or athletes, or you know, even back when Ken Norton broke Muhammad Ali's jaw, you know, was it? Ma I think it was Ken Norton, but he was hypnotized too. You know, it's it's amazing mm -hmm. what can become of who you are if you're willing to free yourself of the limiting beliefs. And I think that hypnosis, maybe even paired with psychedelics, could be a critical one-two punch. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> could be. Uh, and then, you know, one other way that I like to think about this, I, I had a, a person that I was talking with earlier today and, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about limiting beliefs and self-sabotage and, and all these yes. things. So the, the thing to remember is there is no part of us that's trying to mess up our life. <laughs> that's so beautiful. We, every part, you know, every time that we have a, a limiting belief or a self-sabotage, there's something that is trying to give us a positive result. The mm -hmm. method that it's using is just not very effective yeah. and, and it's confused. So, uh, you know, call that shadow work, call that integration mm -hmm. work, whatever you want to call it. We're really, we're learning to accept all these different parts and to kind of get them in alignment so that yeah. we're, we're all working together in a positive way because it's, it's not trying to stop us to sabotage. It's just trying to keep us safe mm -hmm. and it's keeping us safe in the only way that it knows how. So sometimes that's through anxiety, that's through fear, that's through, you know, fear of flying or one of these phobias or, or maybe just being super uh, shut down. Like there's lots of ways that we try to stay safe that yeah, it yeah. keeps you safe because it doesn't let you do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It brings up this idea. Like there's been times where I've been on a pretty deep journey and something comes up that I don't want to think about. And what I've learned is that the more that I try to push it away, the more intense it gets. And, yeah. and you know, yeah. it, it, it's interesting because, you know, it's really helped me discover how I discover things. It's, first off, it's difficult just to hold one thought in your mind, not think about anything else. Right. But once you. And, you, and less. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like. It's going to stay right here. And if you try to push out, it's going to get bigger. So like uh -huh. that, that has taught me like, okay, you got to sit with it. No matter how long it's going to sit, no matter what you yeah. have to face, you have to sit with it. And pretty soon you come to the idea, okay, this too shall pass. But right now, this is something that it's not going away. I have to think about it. And that's helped me realize looking back on my life, all the times that I distracted myself. So I didn't have to think about it. Yeah. Like, you know, I am. I am horrible at this thing. Oh no, I'm going to go clean my room or I'm going to wash my car or I'm going to go outside or yeah. I'm going to go for a run. Like, okay, no, you're not sitting with it. And I, yeah. I think that's one of the most powerful, one of the coolest things and most powerful things. And one of the most frightening things that I've learned from those states of conscious is, is becoming aware of the thing, right? Be aware. Like maybe we can talk about awareness for a minute. That's a pretty powerful one. Yeah. Well, and so this reminds me of, uh, so let's talk a little bit yeah. about, uh, why I think that is there. Okay. So <laughs> I have to give a, have to give a frame for this first. So my personal frame, I don't know if there's even a belief. It's just the frame that I use sure. based on life experience is that you, me, we are little sparks of divinity. Okay. Mm. So let's say we're a spark. Let's just yeah. first the, Example, we'll just say that that's the truth. We are sparks of divinity because what is divinity? Divinity is like everything, right? The, everything in the universe, everything that is going to happen, everything that's ever happened. It's like this big cloud of just like love. 
and it's kind of boring. So to experience a little thing, something a little different, something a little interesting, it has to split itself off and kind of go into these different experiences. So that's you living your life. That's me living my life. We are the universe experiencing itself go through life so that we can have experiences. We can go back to the universe again and then start over and do that, do that again and again. But because, you know, the big blob of love is just kind of boring, it craves experiences. Mm. And those aren't necessarily just positive experiences. There's no judgment on what an experience is. It's both good, bad, the, the, the sad, the happy, all of it is exquisite <laughs> to that spark of divinity because it's experience and the big blob of love is just everything already. So there's no differentiation. So that's the frame. So because of that, when you're going into these types of things, where you're, you know, stuck on that thought. And yeah. that thought is also a feeling, right? Mm. That feeling, part of you loves that feeling. Part of you just wants to feel. That's the spark. It wants to feel. So if, to your point, you just allow yourself to feel that and just be okay with it, just, it doesn't mean that you're always going to feel that. It just it means mm -hmm. that right now there's a part of you that loves this feeling and it's okay. It's okay that it loves that feeling. And if you allow it to just pass through you and you, and if you notice, here's what, here's the interesting thing. If you, if you start to pay attention to not the thoughts, not the meanings, mm -hmm. but the feeling, it might actually be kind of a good feeling. So I've noticed when I do this, the, the feelings that I get, they're kind of like energy in my body. It's kind mm -hmm. of, it's, it's exciting. It's this rush of energy where if I don't put any meaning to it, I can look at it. Oh, this is, yeah, this is a good feeling. This is like this rush of energy. It's this powerful feeling that I was putting all this other meaning on. Yeah. I'm not good enough or whatever it is. Like you're putting all this, it's not any of that. It's just, what's the easiest way to get to this feeling that the spark wants to feel? Well, maybe I'll just feel that instead. Let's just feel the feeling and let it have that. And usually it's done. Usually once you've done that, that's the integration. That's letting it be real. That's letting it become, it's not the resistance anymore. The resistance is the problem where mm. if it's acceptance, except, yeah, okay, part of me wants to feel this. Okay, let's feel this. We don't have to put meaning on it. Yeah. We don't have to put thoughts on that. It doesn't have to mean anything about me. It's just a feeling. Let's let it be. I love that. I've never heard it put that way before. That guy, that really makes it accessible to me. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to having these things that I thought were negative feelings now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So negative thought, maybe. negative, yeah. thought, negative yeah. meaning, but right. the feeling itself is probably just kind of, it's just a feeling. It's just another feeling. Let's talk about that process. From it. Is it your, your, your thoughts become your ideas, become your words, become your habits, or is it, is, it, is that the right order? I, or? I think it's thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to actions or ah, non-actions. Okay. Right? So think uh, thought is, oh, I did that stupid thing. Oh, you idiot. Okay. <laughs> now I'm feeling, now I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling okay. negativity in, and I'm feeling it in my body. And so I go away from the situation. Mm -hmm. I hide. I, I get angry and I smash yeah. something, right? Lo lots of different ways that that can happen, right? So you can either have an action or a non-action. And, and that's, those are the three ways. That's essentially what I do with my work is I help you 
quiet your thoughts, kind of get in control of the thoughts, update those feelings. That's the rewiring, like the reprogramming so that you can take a new action and making that action part of who you are now, like stepping into who you really are, that spark, that divinity. Yeah. I think that that on some level on this, on the, on like a, you know, in the world of psychedelics, there's this debate about what a bad trip is, you know, and, and we're back to language and meaning yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. But I was speaking with some very interesting people and there's also this debate in, in psychedelics about on some level, people are trying to take the negative aspects like the, the magic out of the magic mushrooms in some ways. Can you have the same sort of neuroplasticity and the, the results for the BDNF without having the psychedelic part of it? And um, I, some people say yes, some people say no, but it seems to me what's happening right there is that that negative manifestation of you freaking out is your brain being real, being rewired in real time. Like that is the neuroplasticity. And this is the manifestation of like, oh, I can't believe what's going on. I hate this thing. Like, yeah, what, that, you, like that's the resistance. <laughs> that's what that is. Yes. So, yeah. so that's the challenge with that. That is the, the risk, right. Of using psychedelics is, are you ready mm. to face what's there? So people that haven't done a lot of inner work, it can be harder and and I can, yeah. you know, I'll share a little bit. So I, I did a lot of psychedelics in my younger years yes. <laughs> and then there was this long space where yeah. I didn't. And then I started exploring again. Yeah. And I have a whole different perspective on how it shows up. Like the, it's, it's much easier. It's more, but it's also deeper. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. I'm open to allowing it to happen. I, I let I let it flow through my body and I just yeah. let whatever's going to happen, happen and accept it. And that is a uh, in the in the past, there were times when I would resist what's coming up and I didn't want to face it. And, and that makes. Yeah, that's like a, a bad trip. It's also I mean, think of think of uh, getting stuck in the loop. Right. You don't have to be tripping yeah. to to get yeah. stuck in a loop. It, yep. It's the same kind of thing. Be with it. I'm here with you, right? Like if you're in having a bad trip, hopefully there's somebody there that's just with you that can talk you through it, let you know you're doing great. Everything's going to be fine. I'm here right with you. Take a breath. All the same things that you might say mm -hmm. to somebody who's having a freak out in any other kind of situation. It's just about feeling it's okay. You're okay where you are. You're safe. Here, wrap up in this blanket. <laughs> Have totally. a drink of water. Yeah. Eat a piece of chocolate. <laughs> now we're talking, right? Now we're talking. You're all right. Things are beautiful. Listen to the song. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes people talk about having like a, like a audio hallucination. Like when you hear voices or something like that, what mm -hmm. do you think is going on there? Oh, we hear voices all the time. <laughs> I do for sure. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so I don't know if it's an audio hallucination. Right. It's just like a part of, it's just yeah. a, be, so we, way back in the beginning, we talked about the different ways that we access our imagination, yeah. audio, visual, kinesthetic. Those are the three main ways. There's others as well, but those are the main ways. So some people that are real audio based, they hear words in their mind. It's just mm -hmm. their thoughts or a, like a part of them speaking. Some people might just feel sensations in their body, feel emotions more. Some people might get real like imagine things in their mind where it's just, there's 
different ways that that happens. Now, that's not to say that somebody who's having a psychotic event sure. is, is having the same kind of thing. That's a little bit different of a thing yeah. and outside of my wheelhouse. Um, so if that's the case, go see yourself, go find a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, it's interesting in my exploration of psychedelics, I've found myself exploring different compounds. And for me, like I, I've, I've been a fan of LSD or some of the derivatives like Ethlad, but there, there seems to be a difference. And this is just my opinion. I'm curious to get what your thoughts on it. Like for me, LSD and Ethlad, they do provide an incredible insight in a long, long form format for it. Mm -hmm. But for me, psilocybin mushrooms, particularly, it seems embodied. Like it seems like there's something there. Like I feel yeah. like I'm talking to somebody or something yeah. or a different part. It's maybe more than myself. Have, it, what do you think is going on when you feel the embodiment versus not having the embodiment? Is that a different mechanism of action or is there someone there or does it matter? Or is it? I call them the mushroom people. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, if you think about it, there is something there. Like mushrooms yeah. are alive. They are yes. grown. There is a spirit to them. Mm -hmm. They're a spark of that divinity. Yeah. Right. They are. Now, I guess you could, if you really want to boil it down, LSD, it's still that it still has that spark, but it is man-made. It's a chemical structure. Yeah. Uh, so this comes back to your other point around let's make a psychedelic that doesn't actually give you any psychedelic <laughs> experience, right? This is this is us trying to take control yeah. of this process that I mean psychedelics have been around probably as long as humanity yeah. has been conscious. Yeah. And maybe have, even longer. Maybe responsible for it. It may be responsible <laughs> for it. Exactly. There's the, there's the stoned ape theory, right? So, so who, who knows how long these things have been around? They've clearly like the, in the brain, they can, there's receptors in yeah. the brain for these chemicals. So there's something going on there beyond just, a plant that happens to have these effects it's more than it's yeah. more than medical and uh yeah I, I don't like the idea of just giving somebody a pill to to fix a problem yeah and that's what they're tr that's what i think might that would be the danger I, I don't know what's exactly happening but that might be the danger of removing the very pleasant and mind-blowing effects of a psychedelic experience and just right. figuring out how to make it neuroplastic update your neuroplasticity, which wouldn't be a bad thing, but yeah. I think you might lose, you lose the essence of the spirit of the plant, right? Yeah. If you're taking that out of there. So, I mean, I, that's the way I look at it. I look at it as if there is there, it does seem like there is a spirit both though to LSD two and to the plant. It's just different. It's, it's very different. And I think it's because one's alive and one is yeah. a chemical. <laughs> yeah. It's like one's a robocall. Versus kind of, <laughs> kind of, yeah. oh, I was talking to a machine. God, that was a real person that time. You know, it's, I find it to be an incredible linguistic bridge on some level because there's been so many times that i found myself in my backyard or you know on a, on a low dose or even like on a higher dose and just coming to this realization like wow nature's totally talking to me right now and an example is i remember there's like this vine in my yard and it climbs up this tree and like i, I just remember sitting there like and think just staring at it and thinking 
wow, this particular plant knows to climb up this tree and produce a flower at a 47 degree angle on August 13th at 147.53 PM. Like, how does it know that? And as I'm thinking that I'm like, how did I know just to leave my job, take a chance on this thing. And like, yeah. it's the same thing. And like, I just, I wanted to hug the plant. I'm like, thank you. You know, thank you for sharing this with me. I mean, I, I love yeah. you, you know? And it's like, it's, yeah. We can see ourselves in nature if we can just break some of the conditioning on some of them. I, I really think that's nature talking to us through us. And it's they're almost like exogenous neurotransmitters, right? It is a way of connecting. Yeah. And and there's there's lots of ways to communicate. Talk yeah. about linguistics, right? There's communicating yeah. through energy, there's communicating mm -hmm. through words. Yeah, it's I guess if we explore the connection between language and behavior in in hypnotic context or heightened states of awareness context, how might the linguistic framing influence the reinterpretation of past experience? I guess we kind of touched on it a little bit, but you know, maybe yeah, we talk no, more that's, that's a great way. So okay. you know, it, I I do that with people often. Okay, um, and kind of the simplest way is revisiting a younger version of you. Like in a moment where you needed something that you didn't get, right? Mm -hmm. And giving them that, giving them the love that they needed, giving them the the words of encouragement they need, whatever it is. And then in your mind, again, you're all doing this in the imagination, yeah. going through that experience now with the things that you needed and how that can make such a difference for people. So just that that's using linguistics, my words to help guide yeah. them to a place, right? Where they're in their mind, creating a different experience. It removes the charge from those emotions or uh, from those experiences that used to be highly emotional. Now, all of a sudden the charge is gone. Like the, the experience, it still happened. Like we can't yeah. change the past, but we can remove the, the charge from that past experience so that it just becomes another, just another thing that happened. Yeah. And, and now you have this connection with this younger you that you can foster. So a lot of times I did this yesterday. We went through an experience that was around reconnecting with her younger self. And it can be really powerful for people to, to go back and, and give them what they need, have the conversation with them, let them know their love, like all that stuff. Yeah. So often when we go through something like that, that's been really powerful. I will, uh, I'll ask my clients to, to find a photo of themselves or a toy from that time, put it in a place of honor in their home and talk to them or light a candle for them or burn a stick of incense for them. Like give them some energy yeah. somehow. Well, how will you do that is you know, practice yoga, work out for yeah. them. I don't care what you do. <laughs> Just give them some energy and, and we can build that connection. Cause that's, and I got here. I'll show you. Yeah, please. I got my little picture right here. Yeah. My, my younger <laughs> self that, that I go to in my place of honor, right over yeah. there. Yeah. So. so it's, and, and you know, this, obviously this is stuff that I practice on myself too. Cause sure. I need it. Gosh, darn it. Just like everybody yeah. else. Yep. Do you find, do you run it in the opposite direction once you've run it in the past? Like it seems to me once you go back and remove that charge, now you're able to run it in the other direction and and model realities that might not have been possible before. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the most important things that I feel 
I can help people with is to create the the future, create mm. the future they want and give that, give their unconscious mind now a target so that, because the, the yeah. unconscious mind will give you what it thinks you want. The problem is it thinks you want what you've always had. <laughs> and so you just, you just go down the spiral yeah. until you give it a new target. So that's, that's, you know, they call it future pacing, imagining mm. yourself in the future, in a situation where in the past it used to be this way, but now you're doing what you want to do the way you want to do it. You're thinking the way you want to think, feeling the way you want to feel like just fill in all those details and make that real in your mind and nod your head when that feels complete. <laughs> yeah. That's speaking to the choir, right? You know, I guess that's why growth is so, you know, constantly choosing the path of growth is scary because you are denying the subconscious, the ability to do what it's always done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've noticed like I, I, letting go is an interesting topic that people find themselves talking about a meditation or regression or something like that. But letting go often seems to create space for growth. Right? Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, for sure. Like I think of it like a, a cluttered house. Yeah. Right? Beautiful. Yeah. That's what we're, that's what letting go of. It's getting yeah. rid of the clutter, the things that don't need to be there. Those things that you keep kicking as you're trying to walk through your kitchen and it's just in the way. So yeah. let's get it out of the way. Let's chuck it. You don't need it. Never needed it in the first place. It's interesting. I was a UPS driver for like 26 years. And I remember, you know, on any route in any neighborhood, there's like a couple houses that are like hoarder houses, you yeah. know, and you're like, you're like, wow. You know, for someone who delivers, you really get to see what's going on. Like, <laughs> Dude, I want to deliver this guy more stuff. <laughs> Right. It's like put a little note on the package. Maybe you should reconsider your uh, life goals here, my friend. (laughs) You know, and then for me, you know, I I would, I would know the person and I would see the shame. Like they wouldn't come to the door because they didn't want me to see them. You know, and I was like, you start real, you start building this relationship, even though you don't really know them, you realize like, oh, so that leads you to do research and you start figuring out, oh, all these things are tied to memory and they feel if they let them go, then they lose that memory. You know, and I started thinking about that in my life and, you know, I, I'm going through it, a, a, a part where I'm, I'm letting go and I'm getting rid of stuff. And so mm-hmm. I'm letting, I love books, man. And I, it's, I bought all these books and my wife's like, you got to get rid of some of these. I'm like, oh, no. yeah. <laughs> you know, and she's like, why can't you get rid of this one? I'm like, that's a first edition. And she's like, <laughs> all these yeah. reasons, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then like, I realized like, okay, this is ridiculous. Just give it to somebody that would enjoy it. And now you've already read it like three times. Who cares that you have two first editions? Like give it away. Give one of them away. You know, and then so that process begins opening up the room for growth. And as I start doing that, I realize everything in my house, well, maybe not tied to a memory, is tied to an idea. And that for me was very powerful. Like, oh, this bookcase is an idea that I like to read and it inspires. Okay, but once you become aware of the idea with which you've associated the thing, it allows you to let go of it. You know, it's, mm, it's kind of yeah. interesting to think about all the things in your life as, as potential things tied to ideas. That's kind of interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Man, it blows my mind to, to, to go to the path. I, like, I love learning and it, it just, it seems to me that we're always doing it. And if you get stuck in this a moment, think about what the idea that thing represents and it might, it might change your perspective on it. Mm-hmm. I guess that in, in, in states of heightened suggestibility, is there a threshold beyond which linguistic suggestions 
become ineffective or counterproductive? And how does this inform our understanding of the limitations and boundaries of hypnotic influence on behavior? So is there a point where the suggestions are ineffective? Is that the question? Or counterproductive, yeah. Counterproductive. I like to give a series of suggestions that maybe mm -hmm. kind of hit at the same idea in a little bit different ways. Right. And, but I haven't found, I don't think repeating them is any kind of a problem. So I don't think that, I think the answer is no. I don't think it becomes a count, counterproductive. The only way, reason, the only way I would is maybe if it's too specific. Right. And kind of back to the idea that I said earlier that I like to give people the opportunity right. to help create their own suggestions. So, you know, I might give you some, I'm going to give you some that are gener gen general that are allowing you to do that. And then we're letting, we're totally letting your unconscious mind just kind of kick up. And the last thing I'll do is I give people permission to just allow the unconscious mind to keep working. I'll always let them know it, there's things still happening. So just allow it to happen. You don't have to do anything know that that's happening and watch for some messages. So I'm, I'm usually pretty open around allowing the unconscious mind to keep doing the work because that's important, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's really well said. I, every now and then in the world of psychedelics, you'll hear about, you know, may, maybe the point that where linguistic suggestions become counterproductive is when somebody is trying to interpret with the problem for you and they're putting those suggestions in there yeah but, exactly know, yeah that's the, that was what I, the other thing that i came that came to my mind was like scripts right like yeah in, in the hypnosis world a lot of times people start by reading scripts that are specific to a tech for a problem mm -hmm. and the problem with that is that everybody's a little different so <laughs> <laughs> you, you know your the way that you are a smoker is different than the way that you are a smoker and so there's some there's some generalities that are sure. there, but if I if I create a, a hypnotic session specifically for this person, and then I try to give it to this person, it has the potential to not hit because things are not in alignment. So there's there's little things, subtle things that you do that can help make that just soften those suggestions so that they're not. When this happens, you're going to do this. You know the, that has to be a little more specific to the person. You had mentioned Stephen King in earlier in the in our discussion, and I'm I'm curious your relationship with authors and 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 genres and and maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Is there like a certain genre of books that you like? Are there certain authors that you you admire, or what, what's going on there? Well, I I was a comic book fan growing up. Uh, I am a big Neil Gaiman fan. I like uh, I do I'm a Stephen King fan, so I've read most Stephen King books. And that's been a long, I think I read Cujo at age of nine <laughs> and I, and I read it because my mom told me I couldn't read it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Imagine and, that. And then I was hooked. So ever since then, uh, I like sci-fi a lot and yeah. I like, uh, uh, Scandinavian crime. <laughs> <laughs> noir. I wasn't noir. aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I find that my favorite kind of stories and it's really, it's kind of stupid, but I really like the, the private eye who just never gives up. <laughs> he gets beat up 
again and again and again, and he just keeps going. So something about that uh, archetype yeah. really resonates with me. And I think it's the persistence thing, like just yeah. keeping on moving. It's also the, you know, I, I am, I, I'm a, a believer in like, you know, positive masculinity. And yeah. so there's a piece of that that's behind that kind of an archetype that I really resonate with uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, what, can you give an example of one of those books that you like a lot? That's that, that is that detective that is. Yeah. Like, so. You know, so I, I'll give you two. Uh, yeah, please. One of the authors is Joe Nesbo, and he he writes uh, Norwegian, uh, basically modern noir about serial killers, and uh, yeah. his his hero is a police detective who's an alcoholic, and like all the things that you know, typical a typical noir kind of a guy. Right. Great. He's a great writer. They're great stories. A whole series of stories that he's written. That's one. Um, but then the other one is the. Uh, Oh, what's his uh, Mickey Spillane? Mike Hammer is a is a favorite of mine, <laughs> and 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 that's like the dirty little secret ones that I like to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like those too. Well, I've I've found myself um, deep in some in some like space dramas. There's a there's a there's a series called Red Rising. I can't think of the um. I guess I have right here. It's um Pierce Brown. He's wrote a series of books that are. They talk about this guy that's a he he drills for a certain type of ore on a on Mars, and there's this you know other group of people that come down and they oppress him, and then he becomes one of these people and he takes over. It's it's kind of he draws it all the way back to like, and so he starts getting into like the philosophy of like the ancient Greek mythologies, and he ties it all together in like a yeah. space drama. It's really yeah. it's really well done. Another another good one is Brandon Sanderson, who's He's mesmerizing, like the the what is this one called? The words of radiance and the way of kings. Like I, I'm really into to a lot of those. I I, I love sci-fi too. What do you think's going on there? I hear like a lot of interesting things. Like sometimes sci-fi might be a way of us remembering the place where we came from. There's all these weird things about like yeah. what it can be and the imagination behind it. But what is one of your favorite things about sci-fi? Do you have a favorite sci-fi series? Oh, I mean, Dune is probably my favorite yeah. sci-fi series. Uh, the other one I would say is uh, the Gunslinger series by Stephen <laughs> King, which is, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, uh, horror. Like, it's all of them mixed <laughs> together. But what I notice is the hero of that, he's your typical noir detective who keeps going no matter yeah. what, gets beat up, nothing stops him, he's persistent. Like, it's so, so again, something about that character really drives me. Um, I think... I what I like about sci-fi is like, and I'm not a fantasy fan, okay, really at all. I'm not. I don't read much of fantasy, but it's but sci-fi is just fantasy in space. <laughs> but, and for some reason, I can connect with it so much more right. when it's a sci-fi series uh, experience than it's fantasy. So, uh, what I like about Dune, for example. One of the things that's just fascinating about that is just the time span that it goes through. And yeah. the, the ideas that it talks about are, you know, we're, we're talking about altered states. We're talking about uh, seeing the future. We're talking about these grand, grand societies that change over time, but never really change. Yeah. And, hum, you know, humanity as a space faring 
species with, you know, having millions of planets that they're on. Like it's, it's uh, the scope of it is, is fascinating. And the, uh, it's just the ideas that Frank Herbert is able to yeah. examine in that frame. I just fascinated me. So that that's my favorite sci-fi series. Uh, otherwise I do mostly read for right now, right now I read the, the, the noir stuff for fun. And then I read a lot of develop personal development type of type of books is always trying, trying to increase my own knowledge and skills and get different ideas for things here and there. And, you know, I run a business, so I read a lot of business books too, to, uh, level that up and try to keep leveling myself up and my clients. It seems like a, there's a, there's a genre that continues all three of those. And it's like true crime. Like I'm a big fan of like these true crime novels. And I recently read one called the mastermind. Have you read that book? No. Oh, I'm going to, I'll send you, a, I'll send you, I have an audio copy. I think I can send you, but it's this guy backdoors the pharmaceutical industry and ends up becoming like, he, he builds an army. He's, he just gets into everything. And like they, I don't want to spoil it for you at the end, but like uh, the guy is a mastermind. Like I, I, I read it and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You got like, you can't <laughs> help, but on some level be like this guy just smarter than all of them. You know uh -huh, what I mean? Uh -huh. But true crime to me seems to be this way in which a flawed character finds a way to become the person that they wanted to become. And you can almost identify with that struggle. Like that's pretty impressive the way that some people have done it. And then you're like, Maybe it's all true crime. Like, start look at this guy. Look at the CEO, man. That guy's no different than that guy, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's really fun to to, to get to part. I love reading because you can participate in someone else's story and see yourself in it. You know, it's, it's really right. wonderful. Like I said, as Stephen King said, right? It's the one way to go directly into somebody's mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Joshua Peters, fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed this. This is really fun. I hope you come back and we can talk more about it. And I, I, I gotta, my next phase for the podcast is getting really cool people together to have fascinating discussions about whatever topic we're going to go with. So yeah. Um, Love to. I've yeah. been a great time. Thanks yeah, for this is having me fun. here. Before I let you go though, like what do you have coming up and uh, where can people find you? And what are you excited about? Sure. Uh, so you can find me in a couple places. Uh, Websites. I'll give you some websites first. Yeah. So one, my my main website for kind of client facing is called xfactorhypnosis.com. So that's where you can learn about how I how I help people as far as with hypnosis. Uh, I do a, a podcast called Superstates, and you can find that at superstatespodcast.com. Uh, it's a, it's really about using trance states of all the different types that we've talked about and more to uh, to facilitate personal or professional development. And so I have lots of experts on that, uh, have a, have a frame around that. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. I think all of them are at Joshua Ray Peters. And that's R E Y. Uh, all of this is in my, is on the X factor website. Uh, you can find all those links there. Um, and then as far as what's coming up, I am working on a, a series of uh, webinars with some colleagues of mine that we're calling uh, 
what are we calling it? I, I think we're calling it uh, the four doors, and it's yeah. right. It, it's it's ways of using altered states again to to change different uh, different ways, different things in your life. We have a, a psychologist who's um, uh, psychedelic focused, right. talking about how how to use uh, psychedelics within your practice. We have a uh, another hypnotist who is really just talking about altered states, what they are, how you use them, how you can uh, create them. We have uh, myself doing, uh, and I'm doing a process that I'm calling uh, the resilience pyramid. And it's, it's, it's not brand new. It's kind of based on a process that is an NLP process. And then I've added in some ideas from the Western esoteric tradition yeah. into it as well to kind of amplify it a little bit. Uh, and then we have some other guests as well, but that's going to be happening in January. Uh, I'll have, I don't even have, wait, do, I, I think it's called ritual. Yeah. Ritualtechnology.com, I believe is the website like that. for that. Uh, but that I'll be, that'll be on my web uh, or on my, uh, on my podcast coming up here soon. In fact, I think I have it scheduled for next week. There's a, uh, an interview with the three of us, the three main people, and there'll be all kinds of details for that uh next tuesday that's coming out nice fantastic i recommend everyone go down to the website check it out check out the podcast joshua was an incredible wealth of information and has a very unique perspective and very helpful especially if you find yourself trying to push yourself to the next level of business or optimizing the way in which you want to run your life and relationships check him out he's, he's super awesome he's fun to talk to and you can reach out to him and he'll get back to you and hang on briefly afterwards that's all we got for today ladies and gentlemen i hope you have a wonderful weekend aloha aloha everyone Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.